Oh great, I did put that in my notes, but I of course forgot to look at my notes. Um, uh, so anyway, comma is closely linked to big mind in a way that um, I never realized before, and we will see that in, in, in this material. Are there any questions or, oh, and I meant to ask if anybody had any thoughts from last week or comments or questions from last week before we go forward. Does anybody? I think we're small enough that you could just unmute and speak if you want. Okay, I'll take that as a no. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen for the Sankh, Sankha, Sankha Sutra, Sutta. Um, and um, is that work okay? Is that big enough, the print big enough and such? Can people see it? Does it need to be bolder or bigger or anything? Looks good. Okay. So let's do um, like we did last week. I'll I'll do maybe the um, first two paragraphs, and and then we'll I'll call on people as I see you, and and we'll you know the people who are who are um, showing their picture will be the people who I'll call on to read, and I'll just go through you the way you appear on my, my screen. So nothing personal. <laughs> um, so this is called the Sankha Sutta, the conch trumpet. On one occasion, the Blessed One was staying near Nalanda in the Pavarika mango grove. Then Asibandhakaputta, the headman, a disciple of the Naganthas, went to the Blessed One and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, the Blessed One said to him, headman, how does Nagantha Nataputta teach the Dhamma to his disciples? Nagantha Nataputta teaches the Dhamma to his disciples in this way, Lord. All those who take life are destined for a state of deprivation, are destined for hell. All those who steal, all those who indulge in illicit sex, all those who tell lies are destined for a state of deprivation, are destined for hell. Whatever one keeps doing frequently, by that is one led to a state of rebirth. That's how Nagantha Nataputta teaches the Dhamma to his disciples. Um, and so just a couple points. This I think we touched on this last time. Nataputta, uh, Naganthas are also known as the Jains, what's got, come down to the present time as the Jains. Um, and that he was one of the teachers that the Buddha studied with before he had his enlightenment experience, Nataputta. Um, and um, there's a number of sutras uh, with with either Nataputta, but more often with with uh, his disciples coming to the Buddha with questions. Um, and uh, so this is this is just one of those. So let's go with I'm going to push it up here. Let's go with Susan. I think we're here, we're here. If it's true that whatever one keeps doing frequently, by that one is led to a state of rebirth, then no one is destined for a state of deprivation or destined to hell in line with Niganta Nataputta's words. What do you think, headman, head person? 
If a person is one who takes life, then taking into consideration time spent doing and not doing, whether by day or by night, which time is more? The time the person spends taking life or the time the person spends not taking life? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to say about that? <laughs> just sort of rational or, you know, just logical or just sort of almost, you could say obvious, you know? Um, yeah. And then we, and once again, we see this, what do you think, you know, that we saw in the last sutra, what do you think? Um, anybody else want to comment on that? There's a lot more here. So maybe we should, maybe I shouldn't open it up till we get into the real, a little bit further into the meat of this. It just um, seems like at the end you could say, duh. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> okay. Um, Paolo, you want to take a pa paragraph? Sure. Um, if a man is one who takes life for it, taking into consideration time spent doing and not doing, whether by day or by night, then the time he spends taking life is less. And the time he spends not taking life is certainly more. If it's true that whatever one keeps doing frequently, by that is one led to a state of rebirth, then one is destined for a state of deprivation or destined to hell in line with Nagantha's Nataputa's words. No one is destined, yeah. No one is destined for a state. Okay, why don't you read the next paragraph? Because basically it's just more of the same. Okay. Um, let's see, let's scroll down. We're here. What do you think? Yeah, there we go. What do you think, head person? If a person is one who steals, indulges in illicit sex, tells lies, then taking into consideration time spent doing and not doing, whether by day or by night, which time is more the time they spend telling lies or the time they spend not telling lies? Good, okay. And Sue, do you want to take another paragraph? Okay. Uh, if a person is one who tells lies, Lord, then taking into consideration time spent doing and not doing, whether by day or by night, then the time that person spends telling lies is less, and the time the person spends not telling lies is certainly more. If it's true that whatever one keeps doing frequently, by that is one led to a state of rebirth, then no one is destined for a state of deprivation or destined to hell in line with Nagantha Nataputa's words. Okay. Um, so then they're going to, well, um, Sue, so why don't you do one more? That's the case, headman. Or, or there's the case. There's the case, chief, I guess. Yeah. Where a certain teacher holds this doctrine, holds this view, all those who take life are destined for a state of deprivation or destined for hell. All those who steal, all those who indulge in illicit sex, all those who tell lies are destined for a state of deprivation or destined for hell. A disciple has faith in that teacher and the thought occurs to them, 
our teacher holds this doctrine, holds this view. All those who take life are destined for a state of deprivation, are destined for hell. There are living beings that I have killed. I too am destined for a state of deprivation, am destined for hell. They fasten onto that view. If they don't abandon that doctrine, doesn't abandon if they don't abandon that if they don't abandon that doctrine, if they don't abandon that state of mind, don't relinquish that view, then as if they were to be carried off, they would thus be placed in hell. I have a question. So he's already yeah. Well go ahead if you were gonna make comments. I was just gonna say he's kind of turning it now to hell being sort of like where you go after you die a little bit to if you think this way you will go to you'll be placed almost as if you were taken carried off to hell you will be in hell in other words yeah go ahead the state of mind is is even more important than the state of acts or acting Mm -hmm. yeah something like that and um I think he's pointing out that the determinant, the t- determinism, is that the right word of, of not to put his view. There's, you know, there's no, there's no way to practice in that. You're, you know, you're just, you're just caught in co- the consequences of your, of your actions. Um, okay, so let's go a little further in this. Um, let's see, Gempo, the, here we are. The thought occurs to them, our teacher holds this doctrine, holds this view. All those who steal, all all those who indulge in illicit sex, all those who tell lies are destined for a state of deprivation, are destined for hell. These are the lies that I have told. There 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 are lies that I have told. There are lies that I have told. I too am destined for a state of deprivation, am destined for hell. He fastens on to that view. If he doesn't abandon that doctrine, doesn't abandon that state of mind, doesn't relinquish that view, then as if he were to be carried off, he would thus be placed in hell. Okay, so he just finishing these. So we're back to these same five that we saw in the Kalama Sutra. The precepts are sort of boiled down to these key five which I mean, it's somewhat more manageable since it's so repetitive, I think, too. Um, um, Can I ask you something? Yeah. I Mm -hmm. keep feeling some kind of irritation with this phrase, um, destined for hell or placed in hell. It sounds so Christian to me. And I, I don't have any trouble with, you know, destined for a state of deprivation. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, we don't often talk about hell in Buddhism, do we? Well, there are the six, the six, uh, what are they, the five, the five, you know, so there's hell beings, hungry ghosts, animals, um, that, to that extent, that's the only extent, um, that we talk, that we talk about it, but, um, but I can understand it as a state, but when it, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the translation or it's like linguistics or something. It's just this idea that you're going to, you're destined for hell or you're going to be placed in hell. I don't know. Am I the only one that's bothering that? 
I think, I mean, I think what you're saying is exactly what the Buddha's saying. He's saying, um, this is the extent understanding at, at, in India at that time that there was a hell, you know, that you went to based on karma. And Buddha's saying, no, hell is the state of mind you go into if you if you think this way, as okay. one example of hell. So, in, in Buddhist cosmology, there were almost innumerable worlds that can be defined in a rough way into six kind of realms, including the animal realm and hungry ghosts, the, the realm of wanting. And below the realm of wanting was not one hell and not an eternal hell, but but many. And just states mm -hmm. states of being where people are driven by greed, hatred, and delusion much in a much stronger way than 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 we are. And by definition, health is an extremely place is 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 a hard place to get out of once you're in. So it, it feels almost eternal. But the the Buddhist notion of hell realms um, was not an eternal state, was not one. And it, it wasn't some kind of outside moralistic um, thing coming down on you. It was where you end up. And some people have taken that as just a metaphor, right? That it could be just reflective of, of a state of mind. That it's where it's a state of being that you end up in because of your karmic actions or thoughts. And as we'll see, there's a lot more uh, spaciousness around it from the in the Buddhist perspective. Um, yeah, okay, thank you. That's all. And, uh, and, 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 Buddha, and heavens too, right? Heavens and hell, and heavens and lots of, yeah, mini heavens. And, and Tibetan Buddhism, there's actually what well, they depicted the wheel of life, you know, and then there it, it's just really graphic. Yeah, you know, the they, six realms are around right. the middle, yeah. Yeah, and, and like you said, Laurie, there are, there are he heaven realms um, where, again, like the karma is so good that, that it feels, you know, but our, our realm is is that much more impactful for spiritual work because we have the perfect balance of suffering and of, and of pleasure. Whereas in the, the heaven realms, it's kind of like you're just lounging by the side of the pool. Life is so incredible that you never really there's are taking no the There's no motivation. Yeah, there's no motivation to practice. Yeah. And, and I think in one of the highest realms of the God realm, you can see what your next rebirth is. So that right there in itself could be a our realm, because what if you're you're seeing that you're going to be born as a hell being, being after this when you're done with the pool, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and we're all getting a little bit beyond what yeah. we understand or know or sure about, which is exactly what the Buddha chides us for doing. So that's good, though. That's fine. I think it was helpful to, to go down that little road. Um, we, it, it might not fit into the current secular view, but that that was the... the I mean, he, he very... Like, there's no mistaking that that's like yeah. his cosmology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, assuming that it hasn't been, you know, once again, the Buddha, what we talked about last week is that things could have been, scholars now think that these were not necessarily all the words of the Buddha. But I think in this comparing between these other, these other philosophies around karma, um, I think, you know, I mean, I feel confident that something like this is, is, is core to what the Buddha was teaching. Um, okay, so let's see where we're. I think we're here. And Hannah next, has her hand up. Oh, Hannah, sorry. Thank you. I was just going to mention the, the concepts that are pretty key of karma and rebirth. So one would do one of these things 
even once, and that would mean one would have bad karma, which could, in some ways of thinking about Buddhist belief, could result in rebirth in a undesirable realm. Right. But I guess, how are we, like, understanding rebirth? I was wondering about that. Like, is it this sort of state of mind, or is it, like, a another, like, life after life? I think it's really important to realize that we don't know and um we don't and that's one of the things that people question whether it got changed it got revised over time over over time the the polys this business of whether there's reincarnation um or not is one of the things that people think maybe crept back in from hinduism into buddhism but we don't know, we don't know, and there's a lot about it. Um, and, you know, I think that even in China and Japan, you know, Alan tells a story about Katagiri Roshi bringing up karma, and he finally said, I can't talk to you about this because we believe and you don't. And he meant we believe in reincarnation and you don't. So, but I do think that for the purposes of our study, the Buddha is pointing out things that can be verified by your own experience and that he's focusing on that. And that's where we need to keep our focus on that also, not on hypothetical cosmological theories or beliefs in something that we can't verify for ourselves. So let's try, let's get to this paragraph and let's see, um, Hannah, why don't you go ahead? There is the case. Oops, you're muted. Sorry, that won't work. <laughs> there is the case, Chief, where a Tathagata appears in the world, worthy and rightly self-awakened, consummate in clear knowing and conduct, well gone, a knower of the cosmos, unexcelled trainer of those to be tamed, teacher of human and divine beings, awakened, blessed, um, okay. Chief, in various ways, criticizes and censures the taking of life and says, abstain from taking life. Chief criticizes and censures stealing and says, abstain from stealing. Actually, the he is the Tathagata in this case. The Tathagata criticizes and censures. Oh, I thought it was the... Yeah, it's not the head, it's not the chief anymore. Oh, okay. Um, you can say they, you know. So I don't mind saying he if it's this. Okay, okay. Um, he criticizes and censures stealing and says abstain from stealing. He criticizes and censures indulging in illicit sex and says abstain from indulging in illicit sex. He criticizes and censures the telling of lies and says abstain from the telling of lies. You want me to go on? Yeah, one more. A disciple has faith in that teacher and reflects the blessed one in a variety of ways, criticizes and censures the taking of life and says, abstain from taking life. There are living beings that I have killed to a greater or lesser extent. That was not right. That was not good. But if I become remorseful for that reason, that evil deed of mine will not be undone. So reflecting thus, he abandons right then the taking of life is that the person now yeah mm -hmm. 
the disciple. On abandons right then the taking of life and in the future refrains from taking life. This is how there comes to be the abandoning of that evil deed. This is how there comes to be the transcending of that evil deed. So he's basically saying it's not deterministic. This is you, you know, this is where you can turn and go a different direction. Um, and I also want to just bring up, but if I become remorseful for that reason, that evil deed of mine will not be undone. So anybody have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it doesn't seem right. I mean, you should have remorse if you've done an evil deed and you don't plan to do it again. I know. And I wonder about that translation. So I would, I'm thinking that it's something like if I'm swallowed in guilt, immobilized and paralyzed by guilt, or something that, that makes you unable to abandon right then the taking of life. That's where I go with it. Anybody else have any thoughts? I it's think like it the, means that um, you can't undo what you did, but you can go forward. Mm-hmm. So you, you mean, did something. You did something that wasn't quite right, and you have to find a way to accept that. You can offer remorse, but. You can't undo it. You did it. Yeah. And so, and you can't dwell on it either. You go forward and change the habit. Yeah. Something like that. I, and I also question the use of remorse because I think remorse means you chew. I mean, like Reb has a long thing in his book, precept book about remorse being um, re-chew. It's a morsel. You know, it's re-chew what happened as a way of sort of metabolizing it in a wholesome way. But I think what he's talking about here is something else where you're caught up in it and and can't move on in some sense. I think it's also just thought versus action, right? Like it doesn't do you any good to sort of be stuck in it. Like it's about like in 12 step recovery, like there's the idea of amends, which like it doesn't matter if you're sorry or not. You change your behavior going forward. Uh-huh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And something I came across in a, a book by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh um, on um, one of the, one of the suits is the the suits on on uh, the better way of living alone, which kind of was not quite what it sounds like, but where um, he states that um, Lord Buddha said that regret, which is similar to remorse it, as an emotion in, in itself, is neutral, and that's it's how we relate to it that makes it positive or negative, because um, it, it can be fuel for for change. Right. And like. Yeah, I think that's what Reb is saying. You 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 metabolize it in some way that makes you not want to do it again because of the bad, you know, is the bad feeling you had. Um, but here he's talking about something else, something that that doesn't lead to an action, a change in action. Uh, I want to yeah, go uh, ahead. jump in. Um, yeah. I like, I, I look at it as chewing up what you're at, the consequences of your action, facing into it. Mm-hmm. And, that's the remorse could be that pause. I, I looked at it that way, facing in it and then seeing the consequences and and right. So remember this is a translation. So we are we're trying to get at what he might be meaning here, whether it fits our word remorse or not. Um, that's what I think anyway. Well, you know, you you part of you wallow in the Guilt and yeah, shame. Part, but part of it is facing that I did this and not ignoring it. You yeah, know? right. And then 
seeing the consequences, facing into the consequences of it, um, acknowledging it, and and then seeing what the next step is moving forward. Right. How can you deal with it? And recognizing that you're not going to undo what's been done. That's that's part of acknowledging our mistakes. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not, it's not wallowing in it. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, why is the Buddha saying, why is the disciple cautioning us to not be remorseful? And I'm trying, so I'm trying to say, let's not use our understanding of the benefits of being remorseful in this sentence, but actually try to understand what is it I, that I causes the evil deed of mind not to be undone. I didn't recognize that it was cautioning us not to be remorseful. I thought it was just a sort of obvious... As Susan said, well, duh, yeah, that happened. It can't be undone. I didn't get that it was saying don't don't be not be remorseful. So just a different view. Okay. Okay. Uh Rich, do you want to take it do a couple paragraphs? Yeah. We're here. They reflect the blessed one is a variety. Sorry. Blessed One, in a variety of ways, criticizes and censures stealing, indulging in illicit sex, the telling of lies, and says, abstain from the telling of lies. There are lies that I have told to a greater or lesser extent. That was not right. That was not good. But if I become remorseful for that reason, that evil deed of mine will not be undone. So reflecting thus, he abandons right, they re, so reflecting thus, they abandon right then the telling of lies, and in the future refrain from telling lies. This is how there comes to be the abandoning of that evil deed. This is how there comes to be the transcending of that evil deed. And one more. Having abandoned the taking of life, they refrain from taking life. Having abandoned stealing, they refrain from stealing. Having abandoned illicit sex, they refrain from illicit sex. Having abandoned lies, they refrain from lies. Having abandoned divisive speech, they refrain from divisive speech. Having abandoned harsh speech, they refrain from harsh speech. Having abandoned idle chatter, they refrain from idle chatter. Having abandoned covetousness, they become uncovetous. Having abandoned ill will and anger, they become one with a mind of no ill will. Having abandoned wrong views, they become one who has right views. Good. Any questions? So we, he's just doing the same thing, only he's adding in all the other, our familiar uh, precepts, the other five precepts that we're more familiar with, more or less. There's actually like three speech ones besides lying here, but anyway. Um, any comments? Maybe not being remorseful is, is um, abandoning. Yeah, I think there's some there's something we can connect with there in our own experience. Um, the the translator makes a note at the bottom that's let's we can jump down there. He says, and I don't know if this works for me, but um, the Buddha also shows that his method of teaching is better than that of the Jains, and that it actually can help free the mind from debilitating feelings of guilt and remorse and lead to the overcoming of past karma. So yeah, debilitating, something debilitating. I think, I, I feel I can, I resonate with this. Um, 
course I lost my place now. I think You're right there. That disciple yeah. it would be the yeah. next one. Um, I resonate with some feeling that there are things that you can meet in on. Of course, I'm sure I do it myself, but it's easier to see in another person where you're just kind of stuck. You, you, you feel bad about what you're doing, but you can't stop doing it and you can't move forward and you feel bad and ashamed and you're sort of, you know, caught almost by shame in a way, you know. So um, whatever words we're using, I think we can connect with the, the meaning of what he's saying here. That, and it's kind of what Rich was saying is that go forward in a different way. And that's how you free yourself from the shame and the guilt. So he's not for remorse? Again, I think <laughs> we, we don't get caught up in the words here too far. Whatever, we, we need to define our terms. So. I think what he's against is something that's debilitating. Something Richard threw it out nicely, yeah. What? I, I, I think Richard kind of was pointed out, you know, the direction it, I, I, I think, I don't know, um, that, that it's, it's going in. Because I think we, we can all relate to that, like having just, you genuinely feel so bad about something that you can very easily get, get mired in it. Whereas if, it's, it almost requires a certain level of spiritual fitness or connectedness, someone to remind you, or if you can remind yourself, that the, the best way to fix this awful thing you've done is to not only feel bad for it now, but to not do it again in the future, mm -hmm. to, to become become someone that will mm -hmm. would not be destined for more of that, mm -hmm. that thing. I know, I know it's a translation, but I feel like the word abandon here, like I think Hannah really pointed something out that's key is like the leaving thing behind, right? And I think that has to include the remorse and the guilt, right? Like, you know, I know we always talk about like the second dart, right? And like that mm -hmm. is kind of the second dart, right? Um, and so in order to like move forward, the abandonment, mm -hmm. you have to shed, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I think abandon is really a key word uh, mm -hmm. here. And again, I think for some of us, it isn't the second dart, but it's actually a path to um, changing your ways. I'm sorry, you know. And he does say that he says it wasn't right. I, I, that was not good. That was not right. I mean, you're okay to say, oh, I shouldn't have, you know, I did that, and it wasn't good. But at some some point where it becomes mired in a debilitating something, whatever the word is, which we can't quite find here which keeps us from making amends or keeps us from moving forward, you know? We're too ashamed to say we're sorry, you know, or something like that. I, I like okay. how uh, the Buddha also said that even him, he's, he's done that. Or he's, just because he's the Buddha doesn't mean that he didn't commit it. But nobody's safe here. We all have the potential to go either way. Right. Okay, so I think we're here. Oh no, we're here. Is that where we? Sorry. No, we we did that one. That okay, last so paragraph. Yeah. So let's see, Natasha, you haven't read yet, right? You guys are jumping around a little on on my screen, but let's go ahead with Natasha. <laughs> cool. 
that disciple of the noble ones, chief, thus devoid of covetousness, devoid of ill will, unbewildered, alert, mindful, keeps pervading the first direction, the east, with an er awareness imbued with goodwill, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. Thus above, below, and all around, everywhere, in its entirety, he keeps pervading, excuse me, they keep pervading uh, the all-encompassing cosmos with an awareness imbued with goodwill, abundant, Im expansive, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Just as a strong conch trumpet blower can notify the four directions without any difficulty, in the same way, when the awareness released through goodwill is thus developed, thus pursued, any deed done to a limited extent no longer remains there, no longer stays there. So, this is what I was bringing up about the um, big mind, basically. And, I, and that's, and I, if you remember, the name of this is the conch trumpet. So that's what they named the sutra after, the, the mm. conch trumpet, which is um, just as a trumpet blower can notify the four directions without any difficulty. I, I really like that image, you know, it's just like, Without any difficulty, you and this goodwill is is our metta, the first of the four divine abodes. Um, his translation here is goodwill, um, and so thus pursued any deed done to a limited extent no longer remains there, no longer stays there. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, where there is, I mean, I guess it's in your mind, if you have big mind. Um, and the limited extent, well, anyway, let's just go on here. Um, unless someone has a thought. At the beginning, he also said, you know, a not so serious offense. He, he was drawing, let me just go back here where he said, um, where was that? Sorry, I'm not finding it. This is what I, this is what happened to me when I was trying to get ready for this class. I kept not being able to find the things. Um, okay, so I did um, have a, I did have a comment about that. Yeah, which was that there's this thing in the Hakuin Zenji song of Zazen, which is always kind of hard to swallow. Which is like, even those who have sat Zazen only once will see all karma erased. Uh huh. Kind of like I don't know. It's uh. It reminds you of that. Well, it's just like when when it, when I heard it in the Hakuin. Uh, poem, it sounds really uh, overblown or something, but here it kind of, I can kind of see how you could get there using a traditional Buddhist framework. Uh-huh. And um, that reminds me that, um, what was I going to say? Say that again, Alex. What was that? All oh, right. Just, well, One thing, and you know, you're freed from one thing. So um, basically our karma is when we act with a misunderstanding of how the self exists. I mean, that's the core issue with karma, which we haven't talked about yet. So karma is when you think you have a self, the things you do 
based on the idea of self. And so these four abodes are getting away from being the trapped in that limited perspective of self. <coughs> we do these, these things, these negative things, idle, ill will and anger, we do them to establish this thing that we keep feeling is not really there. It's, it's our self that we keep trying to establish. And the reason why it never can be established in a satisfying way is because it's actually not that real, not as real as we want it to be. So <coughs> I think what they're saying is step out of that. And that's going to be the most liberating thing you can do. And that's what Hawkwind's saying too, you know, just step out of, which is, which is the core Buddhist teaching, step out of this limited perspective of your small self. And, and when you do that, you know, you'll, you'll both be more forgiving of yourself and others when things go awry and you won't be as driven to do these things. I don't know if we can say one period of zazen erases at all, but that's kind of a faith <laughs> thing. You know, I think that's kind of a faith thing to both an expression maybe, of someone's maybe faith. Maybe that means and, for that moment. I mean, then the next exactly, moment. Exactly, exactly. A bunch of new karma. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because there is no time. Oh, Miriam, you haven't had a chance to read yet. That's right. Oh, great. So I think we're down to the last two. So take it away. Um, are we at that We're disciple? right here, that okay. disciple. That disciple of the noble ones, thus devoid of covetousness, devoid of ill will, unbewildered, alert, mindful, keeps pervading the first direction with an awareness imbued with compassion, appreciation, equanimity. Likewise, the second, likewise, the third. Likewise, the fourth, thus above, below, and all around, everywhere in its entity, in, no, in its entirety, he keeps pervading the all-encompassing cosmos with an awareness imbued with equanimity, abundant, expansive, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Just as a strong conch trumpet blower can notify the four directions without any difficulty in the same way when the awareness released through equanimity is thus developed, thus pursued, any deed done to a limited extent no longer remains there, no longer stays there. So it means it goes into all directions, right? It goes throughout yeah. the cosmos. Is that is that I what think you, so. what I mean, that means? Is, does your limited deed go to all the cosmos? I mean, yeah, I'm just that's not hundred percent sure, but that's what it seems like it's saying. And somehow gets diluted. <laughs> it's badness gets completely <laughs> diluted. Go ahead, Hannah. Well, that's um, that's really a boundlessness. Yeah, that's really what our core or my taking of our core belief is. Mm -hmm. This good thing that you you release goes everywhere mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as well as the bad things that you release go everywhere so this is such a beautiful statement of releasing the good i just love i it. love that phrase awareness release 
I, it's just, I don't know, this is very, very evocative. I just want to awareness take release. I just want to take this piece home with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and Miriam, let's read that last paragraph. When this was said, oh boy, Puta, the head man, the disciple of the Niganthas, said to the Blessed One, Magnificent Lord, magnificent, just as if he were to place upright what was overturned, to reveal what was hidden, to point out the way to one who was lost, or to carry a lamp into the dark so that those with eyes could see forms. In the same way has the Blessed One, through many lines of reasoning, made the Dhamma clear. I go to the Blessed One for refuge, to the Dhamma, to the community of monks. May the Blessed One remember me as a lay follower who has gone for refuge from this day forward for life. So those of you who were here last week remember that, what I'm calling the, the moment of enlightenment, the enlightenment moment of, of the uh, interlocutor, um, which is the same, I mean, the, it's always the same, the same little paragraph. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay. So uh -huh. awareness release through big mind. This is great. It's only eight. Um, well, where did you see the big mind? I I know you said this this was about big mind to you, but I didn't. I guess I see the four immeasurables. Immeasurable is another word for big. Yeah. I, I, I see the four immeasurable practices, loving kindness, compassion. Yeah. And you were you wanted to bring up a different translation. Appreciation. Instead of sympathetic joy, we talked about well, in an email appreci exchange. We talked about appreciation. Joy. Appreciative joy. Appreciative joy, joy and equanimity. To me, I mean, is that different from big mind for you? Or I'm thinking I was. I'm I overlaying was, the two. What? I didn't, I didn't think it was the same thing at all. I thought it because was there's no feeling in big mind or something. It's even bigger than these words or something, or or don't. I thought these know. were um, high states that we can achieve through our practice, but I didn't think they equaled big mind. To me, big mind means Buddha mind, and these are the states we can evolve into. But I didn't think it was the same thing. So like more unconditioned than these or something more. I guess I'm thinking pra in practical terms. Practical terms. This if is we big, have those a bigger, states. a bigger mind, <laughs> bigger than the small mind. <laughs> Maybe it's halfway between small mind and big mind. I don't know, but um, bigger, <laughs> bigish, <laughs> bigish mind. Well, to me, they're, they're like the opposite of greed, hate, and delusion. That's that's how I always thought of them. Uh -huh. The negative, you know, the negative mind states. And big mind is sort of like not even in that conversation somehow for you. I thought it's it meant. Part of I that. thought it meant Buddha nature. Because, but is Buddha is nature it? separate from compassion and and equanimity and loving kindness, or is, well, that should be contained within contained within big mind. 
But isn't it isn't it everything awareness? Isn't it everything consciousness? I don't think they need to be compromised, but they need to be separate. Big mind, small mind. I don't mind, mind if I don't. Yeah. Right. Go Why ahead. We have, Go ahead. Right. It's just all. This is the vast sky. It carries contains everything. Like in the opening hand of thought, he says the the the, the open vast sky does not obstruct the floating white clouds. So that that big expansive sky it carries all of it. And I that that is the mind. That is that is consciousness. And each one of us have that. So yeah, we for, for, for conversation purposes we can we can talk about this and that, but ultimately it's all mind. That's just my view. I don't, it's okay with me if, if I, if people feel like I've over, uh, no, no, if I've no, somehow no, no, overlaid no. big mind on limited, I've limited big mind by containing it within these four practices that, that, that's fine, but it's bigger. It's a bigger mind. <laughs> There's still a relation here between karma, which is this narrow tight. I mean, I think it's not, I just have that feeling like when we act from ourself or we're experiencing something from our small self, it's this tight, narrow, bound up Fixed. experience. And what he's Fixed. talking about is opening that up, however far, you know. So to me, it seems like whatever state you want to talk, I don't like that word at all, because it seems to, for me, indicate some kind of gaining mind. But whatever, wherever the mind is, to me, is expressed in the activity at hand and that could change from moment to moment depending on one's awareness and attention right mm -hmm. the bigness that what we're calling big mind gets expressed in the activity doesn't it yeah, and smallness just, or, gets expressed. It's expressed somehow, yeah, somehow, yeah, which is kind of what I think this whole thing is about. Karma or karma is the way small mind is expressing itself. Um, okay, so um, I have, this is great. It's, we, I guess we want, do we want to take a short bio break? And then we can read these some of these other little excerpts that I pulled, which are also pointing to comma. Okay, three minutes. Go and come back. Go quickly and come back. Don't go to the ends of the universe in this case. Lori, I didn't get a chance to read last time. Oh, I'm sorry, Kabir. How did that okay. happen? I got lost in the big mind. <laughs> oh, did you turn your, did you have your camera off for part of it or something? I'm so sorry. You can read first next time. All right. But actually, there's more reading. You can, there's plenty more reading. Okay. You can read some, you'll be able to read some very exciting stuff. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't get to read either. That's okay. Who's that? Deborah did also did not Man. get to I've come twice and not read in two evenings, so I, I would enjoy the chance. But I mean, as I said, only the people who come off there, they have to, you have to come visual to be picked. I was the second person there tonight, and I've, I have my screen off now because I'm oh. 
Okay, it well, it's really, person. it's hard because all I've got is a little, when, I'm, when I've got the screen share, I've got a little strip of everybody. Well, if you can remember, I'd like to read. Thank you so much. Well, we've got plenty more to read, so yes. And Julianne, you can too. No big deal. I, I have no, I, I desire for to give everyone a chance if I can, but sometimes it's a little hard to track everything. Kabir, um, I think I recorded last week and this week. I think I think you can just call it Polysuta Class One, Polysuta Class Two, Poly something like that. Okay. And I haven't heard back from Paul Disco. Oh, what can we call his? Um, what can we call his? I haven't had a chance to even listen to it. So, yeah. how many classes are going to be on this one? Four. There's three. One three. more after this. So Poly Sutta class one, two, three. Class two, yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. And for Zing, you let, I mean, um, guest, guest lecture from longtime Zen teacher, Paul oh, Disco or something, maybe. Uh, you know what? Wait. I should ask. I should ask Alan. I don't think we're going to, I don't think he's going to be able to encompass what we mean by the title to his talk i think we need to we need to do Give it, it for ourselves somehow but um right okay. now i'm nothing's coming so let me ask is he, is he added to the system now he is he i'm not sure about that either okay Let's got see. homework <laughs> okay uh thank you everybody um so we're going to start with Deborah. Where'd she go? There she is. <laughs> oh, and I'm going to, so I'm going to share to a different file. Sure. Comma, karma excerpts. And then we'll uh, work through these. Most, most of them are short, but one of them is, is actually another kind of long one. Um, Okay, so go ahead, Deborah. Hey, thank you. Karma excerpts. These four imponderables are not to be speculated about. Whoever speculates about them would go mad and experience vexation. Which four? The Buddha range of the Buddhas, the jhana range of the one absorbed in jhana, the results of kama, speculation about the first moment purposes, etc. of. The cosmos is an imponderable that is not to be speculated about. 
whoever speculates about these things would go mad and experience vexation. Okay. So any thoughts? I just thought, I thought that was really interesting just as a little, um, like we can think about comma where we should think about our deeds and whether they're wholesome or not, but getting involved in the results, I think is what he's talking about here. Getting involved in um, why do I, why is this happening to me? You know, what, why, what happened? What, what, why is this happening? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Is this my karma? Just the speculating on the results of action. Why is, me? Is going a little too far. Like we need to pay attention. He's not saying we don't pay attention to this at all, but he's saying, and then I, I, I thought it was kind of funny to think, go mad and experience vexation. I would, <laughs> I, I would say it more like experience vexation and maybe even go crazy or something like that. <laughs> okay. Any other, just yeah, anybody else? Yeah, I was going to say something. I feel that some of this, the underbelly of it is he's kind to me, he's pointing to the four foundations of mindfulness in the Pali Khanna, you know, that it's not to be separating, it's to be with what's coming up. And this is a more friendly way of saying, if you, if you're not doing that, all these side effects will happen. Mm -hmm. But I right. feel it's, it's really pointing back to the, those, you know, the mindfulness of Body. Yeah, yeah, body, mind, body yeah. feelings, mind, and mental qualities. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's probably key to the word speculating. This is, is, is speculating is an important thing that he's, he's, you know, speculating is not looking at your experience. It's just a mental imagining. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, you know. Okay, so now we're going to do the, and um, this can be Julianne. Um, the Lona Fala Sutta. Um, let's try this one. Okay. <clears throat> um, Thanissaro Bhikkhu. Um, monks, for anyone who says in whatever way a person makes kama, that is how it is experienced. There is no living of the holy life. There is no opportunity for the right ending of stress. But for anyone who says when a person makes kama to be felt in such and such a way, that is how its result is experienced, there is the living of the holy life. There is the opportunity for the right ending of stress. So go on a little. There is the case where a trifling evil deed done by a certain individual takes him to hell. There is the case where the very same sort of trifling deed done by another individual is experienced in the here and now and for the most part, barely appears for a moment. Now, a trifling deed done by what sort of individual takes him to hell? There is the case where a certain individual is undeveloped in contemplating the body, undeveloped in virtue, undeveloped in mind, undeveloped in discernment, restricted, small-hearted, dwelling suffering. A trifling evil deed done by this sort of individual takes him to hell. Now, should I go on? Uh, we might as well just, uh, yeah, let's go on. Let's do another paragraph. Okay. Now, a trifling evil deed done by what sort of individual is experienced in the here and now, and for the most part, barely appears for a moment. 
There's the case where a certain individual is developed in contemplating the body, developed in virtue, developed in mind, developed in discernment, unrestricted, large-hearted, dwelling with the immeasurable. A trifling evil deed done by this sort of individual is experienced in the here and now, and for the most part, barely appears for a moment. Good. Okay. Thoughts? This reminds me of like, I don't know, have you ever like laid in bed at night and just ruminated over like the same thing that happened, you know, the dumb thing you did in high school or something, right? Uh-huh, <laughs> like, yeah. It just like, keeps coming back over and over yeah. again. Um, this this kind of makes me think of, of that feeling, you know, uh, like you just get really hung up on individual actions rather than just being like, you know, I'm here, I did this uh-huh. and, you know, yeah. I abandoned it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's a, there's a middle way thing going on here with comma, because if, if there's no person, if there's no self, then who is receiving the results of the karma of this, of this moment in the next moment, you know? So it's like, and that's why we have to be really careful. We don't go, if we go so far into no self that we say it doesn't matter I have no control and it doesn't matter what I do or something, that's going too far in one direction. But if we obsess about ourselves and what this is saying about ourselves and what this means about ourselves and what this, what we can, you know, how we can define ourselves based on this action or that action, then we've gone too far in the other direction, you know? I mean, I think we all experience this, but, um, you know, it's sort of, it's one of those like thread the needle kind of things almost. Seems like this is that awareness release from the Kank mm-hmm. Sutra, Kank Sutra about, I was confused about that line, any deed done to a limited extent no longer remains there, no longer stays there. In Seems the other like one, right? This, yeah. You know, it just barely appears for a moment. I mean, do you think like, is that tracking? That maybe... I, think, I think it very well could be, or it's definitely connected. It's related. It's the same translator, so it's not like just a matter that they're translating it, the same thing differently. But um... Lori, I didn't get the first paragraph on this one. Can you scroll up again? Sure, and sure. Read it again. Julianne, why don't you read it again, and then you can read the part about the salt crystal, which is pretty cool. Monks, for anyone who says in whatever way a person makes kama, that is how it is experienced. There is no living of the holy life. There is no opportunity for the right ending of stress. But for anyone who says when a person makes kama to be felt in such and such a way, that is how its result is experienced. There's, there is the living of the holy life. There is the opportunity for the right ending of stress. Can you give an example? I have no idea what yeah. that means. I'm actually kind of confused about that too. Mm. Um, like, what's what is, the difference between the two ways? Uh, one is, well, I mean, I think what I'm understanding, again, reading between the lines a little bit, the first way is the deterministic way. Whatever way, whatever you do, that's what's going to happen, basically. That's how you're, whatever you did, you're going to experience the results that way. There's no opportunity to, to change, to make a different choice. So 
exactly what they mean by makes comma to be felt in such and such a way that is how its result is experienced again let's get back to understanding that comma ripens as feeling not as things solid things you know um of course our actions also have consequences in other ways and you know but the the essence here is the feeling so yeah. So if I'm, feeling, if I'm feeling, I'm not quite getting it. If I'm feeling annoyed, which I am because I've been multitasking during this class and I'm annoyed uh-huh. at myself, uh-huh. I think mostly. So um, you're. I think, I don't know how this fits in, but I do feel that having, I wouldn't say remorse, but but acknowledging it yeah this this doesn't work actually uh -huh. right i need to pay attention and so i asked that question like wait uh -huh. what so i can't i don't know where i'm going with right. this but I i'm sort of accepting accepting the situation was uncomfortable what's that about and then it's it gives you choices right of what to do next mm -hmm. Someone, someone today who I was talking with, a very long time practitioner who I met with, told me we're having this conversation, and he told me um, the way I've been able to reduce stress in my life is not by doing more things that I think are good, but by taking a look, look, and trying to drop something that is not useful or that I don't think is um helping me in my life or or that i would even consider bad i don't know if he said bad uh -huh. but just this conversation is reminding me of that so it's not that i have to do more good things it's that i have to reduce the things that cause me stress abandonment yeah maybe uh-huh i don't know if this is relevant yeah i i think mind that this whole sutra is a commentary on this first paragraph so we don't have to get bogged down in this because he's explaining it down below um that's yeah. where that's where i'm going but what, what susan is saying makes it's kind of like less is more uh-huh but that doesn't explain this wording does it, or does it? <laughs> i mean is that are you saying it for you it explains this wording about well, no, I, whether I, it's to be felt this way or you know well it, it well I heard this analogy one time. So imagine you're walking by and there's a man with a hammer is keep hitting on his head and he's complaining about a headache. Well, one of the first thing you tell him is you may want to put that hammer down. Yeah. 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 It's, it's circular. Like I, yeah, go ahead. Well, um, what I just what I noticed between the two sentences, like in whatever way a person makes comma, that is how it is experienced. And then the other sentence, when a person makes comment to be felt, like the the difference is <clears throat> the addition of to be felt and then how its result is experienced. So like the first, I, I take the first sentence as like a statement, like I think of the times in my life when I was multitasking. <laughs> 
or whatever, and I regretted it, you know, or, and then that would be an example of the second sentence because of the, I regretted it, you know, and I, like in the first sentence, in whatever way a person makes comma, that is how it is experienced. It's kind of more like dictating um, something that they're doing and saying, telling them that's how it's experienced. It's more sort of, yeah, it's more concrete and less in the realm of experience, I think. I mean, it's trying to yeah. say something concrete about it. Right. I mean, one, one observation I have is how this compares to the one before about going to hell. Mm -hmm. It seems like the flaw in that, that the Buddha is pointing out is when you're looking externally for, the, for verification that what you're doing is good or bad rather than studying how things are rising internally. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's how I take it. Yeah, that was good. I thought that was, that seemed pretty clear. Let's, but let's get down to the salt crystal. <laughs> um, is anybody not read yet? Kabir. I think Kabir has not read yet. Oh, Kabir, I'm sorry. Jesus. That's okay. Well, I've been talking too much. Do you think I've been reading? <laughs> I wouldn't say too much. Okay, suppose. <laughs> yes. Okay. Suppose that a man were to drop salt crystal into a small amount of water in a cup. What do you think? Would the water in the cup become salty because of the salt crystal and un unfit to drink? Yes, Lord. Why is that? There being only a small amount, there being only a small amount of water in a cup, it would become salty because of the salt crystals and unfit to drink. Now suppose that man were to drop a salt crystal into the river Ganges. What do you think? Would the water in the river Ganges become salt, salty because of the salt crystal and unfit to drink? No, Lord. Why is that? There being a great mass of water in the river Ganges, it would not become salty because of the salt crystal or unfit to drink. In the same way, there is the case where, where trifling evil deeds done by one individual, the first, takes him to hell. And there is the case where a very same sort of trifling deeds done by another individual is experienced in, this, in the here and now. And for the most part of barely appears for a moment. Monks, for anyone who says, and whatever way a person makes karma, that is how it's experienced. There is no living of the holy life. There's there is no opportunity for the right ending of stress. But for anyone who says, when a person makes karma to be felt in such and such way, that is how it's resolved in experience. There is the living of the holy life. There is the opportunity for the right ending of stress. So maybe this is something we can reflect on this week. And if we, because I like these, and I think, I think analogies are, are useful. Um, 
thinking about this saw crystal. And the other thing I, I, that I thought of as you were reading is he's not really addressing big evil deeds, right? Like, let's, let's just set that aside for now and let's just try to learn the ordinary things like that we've been talking about, like multitasking or whatever. Let's try to understand what he's talking about or what, how comma unfolds, not speculating, but in our experience in these sort of like ordinary daily, what you might think of as trifling evil deeds. Um, he's not really talking about the, you know, he, he, I mean, in the other one, he talked about the, uh, you know, the five grave precepts, but um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense. Gloria, I just have to say, I feel so much better now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just like the thing about the river Ganges, and that's where I was getting back to the big mind. I don't know whether, you know, it's, it's just like you, if you are the river Ganges, what happened, you know, what you do is contained within that and understood and held within that. And I, I think Suzuki Roshi uses this same analogy and it's either Suzuki Roshi and my Beginner's Mind or Category Roshi and Returning to Stillness uses the same analogy. It doesn't say the River Ganges, but I think he says like a large lake. Uh -huh, exactly, uh -huh. which is like this idea of sort of like being able to receive the equanimity, basically, uh -huh, be able uh -huh. to receive everything uh -huh. and be unperturbed. Uh -huh. But, you know, I think it's kind of a warm kind of equanimity rather than a cool, it's, it's holding everything, you know, it's with, with compassion and friendliness and appreciation. May I add something? Sure. What, what just popped in my head was what a Buddha always said, we are not our sins, we're not our faults. Uh-huh. Right. But we still have to take responsibility Exactly. Can. Exactly. But at the right. same we time, we cannot get right. We cannot just all get fixed to like, oh, this mm -hmm. is me. I did something bad, and I'm the most horrible person in the world. Mm -hmm. God will never forgive me, and I'm going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. I think that's what gets us in trouble more than the sin itself. You call it that. And maybe let's just study that this week because we're talking, you know, like what we're talking about is like our multitasking, you know, or whatever, our trifling evil deeds. And I wouldn't even say evil, you know, trifling, uh, what was the thing I said? Careless, our trifling careless actions. Um, I think that goes along with like the river and cup analogy as well, right? Because like the river keeps flowing, right? So there's a new moment and a new uh -huh, opportunity, yeah. right? And so that that like the, the cup is, is still, right? And it is that way and yeah. it, it cannot change, right? right Once you drop right. the salt in there, you know? And so that you, uh, that upper, like you have an opportunity moment by moment to choose differently, that like choices seems to be really key, right? And that, like that's, uh -huh. that matters so much. Yeah. One time when I um, sounded the bells one too many times after the service, Sojin came up to me to tell me, by the way, did you know you sounded the bells one too many times? And I said, oh yeah, I'm really sorry. I said, I knew it the minute I did it. And he said, okay, number one, don't say you're sorry. You don't need to say that. Number two, <laughs> number two, that's really good. And I said, what do you mean that's really good? And he said, the most important thing is recognizing that you made a mistake, period. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and the sooner the better. It's <laughs> kind of what Buddha's saying here, I think. <laughs> and that's kind of what Mel was saying too, I think. You recognize I your still, I still have a question about this last paragraph, which is the same as the first paragraph. Right, right. And and I don't see the difference between the two sentences. Yeah. Well, so right now I'm chiding myself because I think it would have been good to have looked. I didn't, I just didn't uh, zero in on this. I was thinking about the, the salt main, crystal. I think I need to point. look at the other translations a little bit. Because the main point is that somebody lives a holy life and someone else doesn't live the holy life. And I don't see when you get right. not to live the holy life. If you're caught in a deterministic, I think, so temporarily until I look at the translations and get a better idea and maybe ask a few people, um, if you're caught in a deterministic attitude about it, you're going to be stuck in a deterministic universe. And if deterministic means what? It means what goes around comes around. Yeah, what goes around comes around and you can't change that. Like, like if you did it, okay. you're going to have to pay. Okay. Pay paper, you know. And in the, and in you the way you get do to the, the crime, the don't do the time. If you do want, don't do, want to do the time, don't do the crime or whatever. What? And the and other one is yeah. how you experience it is how it's going to, is how you make different choices. Something like that. That's sort of the best. Anybody else? Paying attention to how you're experiencing it is how you're going to, is what's going to help you make different choices next time. Something that I, th I thought was interesting in, um, in conjunction with this is the, the, um, the statement, my, my actions are my only true possessions. Yes. Thinking yes. about lately. And I, I kind of, something I just realized after hearing about this um, salt crystal um, sutta is that you can you can give up your possessions so or you can let go of your uh -huh. possessions so if you yeah. have if you have an action that you have made or done and you want to give it up maybe you can you know I mean you can't give it up in the past but you can give it up in the future well and that's kind of what Rich was saying about the 12 steps I think that's a way to give it up you acknowledge it, you make amends, you know, you apologize, you make amends, and you do it differently next time. I mean, that's the A-Bs of, of correcting a mistake, you know. Yeah, okay, well, I'm just going to tell you about these other two because clearly our time is running out. So one of them is the one where um, another teacher talks about... Um, Whatever an individual feels, pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain is entirely caused by what was done before. And the Buddha says, no. <laughs> Basically, there are cases where some feeling arise based on bile. And even the world agrees that some feelings arise based on bile. So he, bile. So he says, he uses this nice phrase, any priest who teaches that whatever you feel is entirely caused by what was done before, they slip past what they themselves know and, and slip past what is agreed upon by the world. And then he goes to these other things. 
phlegm, internal winds, bodily humors, the change of the seasons, uneven care of the body, harsh treatment, and karma. So he has all these other things that, that, that affect what happens. It's not just karma. And the people who say that are slipping past both what they know for them from their own experience and what is agreed upon in the world. There's a lot there. Wow. I've never yeah. come across this funny that because we kind of have this thing nowadays, which is a really top-down view of like Buddhist theory of everything's a story. And then it can be like a blanket statement that's more thick because there, there are some things that aren't merely what we've done in the previous moment, but have some kind of deeper seed that that's almost elemental right the, the i elemental. almost and i really like this harsh treatment coming from outside right i mean that's kind of what conditioning people are looking at now right. Trauma, right wow yeah uneven care of the body i mean it's almost like well, what is what does he mean by comma then you know yeah but i think it's yeah so i mean this is not easy stuff but that's why we're tackling it. And I'm just going to quickly, because this other longer one, I got very bogged down. But um, basically, this is another one with Nataputta, who in this one, Nataputta says that of the three kinds of karma of action, he believes that um, perpetrating evil deeds is worse then and verbal offense and mental offense are not. And so the Buddha takes him through all these situations where he has to admit that actually it was the person's intention that made it a wrong thing to do. So Buddha's saying, no, mental action is more determinative than bodily action or physical action. So, I mean, maybe what I should do is put this one in the Google Drive so you guys can read it for yourself. And this is just a portion of it because it's very involved First, one person comes to the Buddha, and then they go back and tell Nataputta, and then Nataputta sends the other guy to debate him, and it, it's it's sort of complicated. But the basic gist of it is, um, well, we're running out of time, so I can't I can't go any further. But um, this one is called the Upali Sutta, which happens to not be. Um, it's not in Access to Insight, I think, because it's got some weird weird stuff in it but i'll try to figure out how to share this with you guys um okay so any anybody else have a last comment yeah i had some questions like you listed at the end of this particular document all these uh mn21 how do we f access those i didn't quite know how to find them those are on this website um and you if you you don't even need a link. I mean, it's called it's Access to Insight. You can just search for Access to Insight. Thank you. And it's got all the poly scripture. Well, actually, there's a few. He doesn't do every single one, but almost all of them. And and that one that had the links is from that. So the links all go to that website. They're all part of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Thank okay, you. anybody have any? And, you know, it's really an amazing thing. You can you can put in a key word like comma and then it, you know, and you can just journey in that realm for hours and days. And, and sort of, and, you know, it's easy to get a little bit lost, which I've done numerous times. 
Um, okay, let us, I'm going to stop this share. I'm going to share our closing chant. And um, we've got one more class, and we're going to do a really difficult, to not a difficult to understand, but a difficult to face and experience sutta. So, but we'll all, we'll all be doing it together, so it'll be fine. And it's also got a hilarious scene, which is pretty unusual in a Pali Sutta too. Okay, so our closing chant, Thich Nhat Hanh's version of the Four Vows, and let's do this um, in the cacophony, cacophony way, but remember, don't wait to hear the word, just launch, because if you wait, then you'll be behind. So just don't list anybody else, just go for it. On your mark, get set, go! However innumerable beings are, I vow to meet them with kindness and You don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you share it? I don't have it. I'm looking at it. What's the problem? Where is it? Is it under? Oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. I forgot to share it. Here, give me a chance. Where the heck is it? Here it is. Okay. Let's take two. Take two. Mark, get set, go. However, I vow to meet However, in I vow to touch them with patience and love. However, in However, in Good night. Good night. Good night.